Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Genesis where today we'll be embarking on Genesis chapter 12. That's right, the calling of Abraham before he changed his name to Abraham. Go figure. And so before we begin, let's start off with a video clip. Now, before we play the video clip though, here's a fair warning. There is some strong language in this video, but uh, unfortunately, I'm unable to edit them out because I don't know how. So just a warning for all of you with little children, earmuffs, so that uh, they will not hear the swear words uh, going through them back and forth in this video clip. The video clip's not that long. It's only two minutes. So just earmuff them or send them away off to play their Minecraft or Roblox or whatever. And uh, yeah, enjoy this video for the next two minutes. We'll be right back. 90 grand a year now. Unemployment is what, 250 bucks a week? Is that one of your positive effects? Well, we'll get to be cozier because I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage on my house, so maybe we can move into a nice fucking one-bedroom apartment somewhere. And I guess without benefits, I'll be able to hold my daughter as she, you know, suffers from her asthma that I won't be able to afford the medication for. Well... <clears throat> Tests have shown that children under moderate trauma have a tendency to apply themselves academically as a method of coping. Go fuck yourself. That's what my kids will think. Your children's admiration is important to you? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, I doubt they ever admired you, Bob. Hey, asshole, aren't you supposed to be consoling me? I'm not a shrink. I'm a wake-up call. You know why kids love athletes? I don't know, because they screw lingerie models. No, that's why we love athletes. Kids love athletes because they follow their dreams. Well, I can't dunk. No, but you can cook. What are you talking about? Your resume says that you minored in French culinary arts. Most students there were going to fry her at KFC, but you bust tables at Il Picador to support yourself. And then you get out of college, and you come and you work here. How much did they first pay you to give up on your dreams? 27 grand a year. And when were you going to stop and come back and do what makes you happy? Good question. I see guys who work at the same company for their entire lives, guys exactly like you. They clock in, they clock out, and they never have a moment of happiness. You have an opportunity here, Bob. This is a rebirth. Now, if not for you, do it for your children. How much did they pay you to give up on your dreams? How much did life happen that we gave up in pursuing God's calling for each of us? To pursue our God-given passion. It's time for a wake-up call for all of us. Have any of you had a wake-up call? I experience life's wake-up calls. Sometimes those wake-up calls come in the form of God's providence and blessings, and other times they come in the form of suffering, pain, and job loss. Not all wake-up calls are experienced directly. Some wake-up calls are also revealed by seeing other people's wake-up calls. When a close friend passes away, and they're similar in age 
and chapter in life, I get a wake-up call. When I see others making headway into following their dreams or making significant sacrifices to pursue their passion, I too get a wake-up call. For some, wake-up calls galvanize change in their eating habits, life perspectives, moral choices, or just simple life routine changes such as exercise more. For some, like this video we just watched, wake-up calls remind them of their passion, their loves, and what's really important to them. For me, yes, wake-up calls galvanize life change. I don't eat white rice anymore. But most importantly, wake-up calls also remind me of who I am, why I'm here, and where I'm supposed to be. To kick my proverbial ass off the ground and keep moving. And I believe God is behind my wake-up calls. So today, as we continue our series on Genesis with chapter 12, God gave a wake-up call to Abram. A wake-up call to remind him of who he was, why he was there at that moment in time, and where he was supposed to be. A wake-up call to tell him that it's not about surviving, but about living out God's calling. Let's begin. So, like marriages, the first few months after becoming a Christian is like a honeymoon where we are just gaga over Jesus. Our faith is childlike and we'll do anything for Jesus. When we hear God's voice for the first time or experience God's providence or finally sense Jesus' presence and his inner workings of our hearts, we are ecstatic. See, when I baptize people, I see the joy and happiness in their eyes. And some of them, I see a sense of relief and thankfulness because, hey, they are now new creatures, born again, made new, and their life is now taking on a new trajectory. Their race to the heavenly reward has now begun. Abraham, who was in the pagan world, had that same honeymoon phase when he encountered God. And where is that? We begin chapter 12 of Genesis. Let's read verse 1. The Lord has said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah. Oh, by the way, Sarah was also 65. His nephew Lot and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Folks, here we have what some would call today a conversion story. Abraham, raised in a predominantly pagan neighborhood and a pagan family with pagan worship rituals, how many pagans can you say, gets a call from God. Did Abraham question the legitimacy of this call? Was it really from God? Was there any hint of doubt? Yeah, probably. 
The author doesn't mention it, but we will see very soon in this chapter that Abraham's faith was just a mere seedling, a faith like a child. And it was enough faith to have him believe the voice calling him was from the God, Yahweh himself. And his childlike faith was enough to get up and leave his comfort zone to do what God told him to do. Why? Because of the promise that God gave him. This promise was huge. The promise included God's blessing, God making him famous, and God's protection from those who may show contempt <clears throat> towards Abraham. Not only that, but the promise also gave Abraham a purpose, a divine global purpose, that through Abraham, many will be blessed by God's blessings as well. Abraham had a divine and global mandate. You see, it's very similar to the time when Jesus called the 12 disciples. Jesus called them by giving them a global purpose, to be fishers of people. When the disciples heard that, and heard that Jesus quoted a prophecy from Hosea, they immediately just dumped everything and left and followed Jesus. Why? Because, hey, what a great global calling. Jesus was calling the disciples to be the heroes of Israel. Both Abraham and the disciples had a childlike faith. And because the purpose was so great and awesome, they felt called to it and follow it, i.e. to leave everything behind and place their trust and obedience to God. A childlike faith will do that, wouldn't it? Which leads me to a question for all of us. Well, for you and I, who identify as Christ followers. Did you choose to follow Jesus because you were responding to his call, his global purpose for you? Or did you choose to follow Jesus for some selfish purpose? A purpose through meticulous cost-benefit analysis. Like, would Jesus give me a boost in self-esteem, help me to weather through my failures in life? Or to get me something that I can only get when I become a Christian, like, for example, fire insurance. Or to have your kid go to some Christian school. Or to be able to marry someone who is Christian. A brown. Heard God's call. He heard God's intended purpose for him, and he believed and made the choice to trust and obey God because of his childlike faith. That was his conversion story. Not because he had low self-esteem. No, he had enough self-esteem. Not because he lacked riches. No, he was quite a wealthy guy. He had everything, including a good bill of health. He chose to follow God because of a grand vision that was far beyond what he could imagine. The author of Hebrews explains how Abraham saw this grand vision that moved him to respond to God's call. In Hebrews chapter 10, I mean, my, my apologies, chapter 11, verse 10. For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham was convinced and looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What could that be in the context of Genesis? Well, so far, what we know of is that Abraham was eagerly waiting and looking forward to a new Garden of Eden, where humanity, creation, and God live in harmony, and humanity can retake its rightful place as God's 
children. A global vision that he can be part of and be a blessing for others by bringing others into this grand vision. That's why he answered the call. That's why he chose to trust and obey God. He chose to follow God because he gets to be part of a global redemption story of God. So before we move on, here's a question for all of us. Will we all, each of us, revisit the reason why we became a Christian? Was it for our own purposes or was it to answer Jesus's global call to follow him and take part in Jesus's global endeavor in making all things new? To be part of bringing in the new kingdom, the new Eden that he had inaugurated through his death and resurrection. Let's move on to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. And because of Abram's trust and obedience, God gives a specific promise to Abram and his family. Now, being nomadic his entire life, the idea of having land has always been a pipe dream for them. But because of his faithfulness to God and placing his trust and obedience in God, God promised Abram that he will receive this land. When? Don't know. But God will keep his promise as long as Abram keeps his side of the deal, as in to remain faithful to God and be led by him. So far, so good. Again, this is the honeymoon phase of Abraham's relationship with God. He was called by God, drawn to the global vision, and because of his childlike faith, Abraham jumped right in. But what happened next? His faith became less of a child. Why? What happened? Life happened. Let's move on to verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. What a pansy. Everything was going well for Abraham. So far, so good. Then... Life happened. Famine is common in those days, and even now in those areas that used to be Canaan. Famine is just part of life. And therefore, Abraham had a choice to make like all of us. Continue trusting and obeying God and keep moving forward into, into the unknown or stop, change course, disobey God, and go down to Egypt where there was assurance of food, shelter, and water. Notice what the author said. Go down to Egypt. Not going up. He was going down. That's not geographically correct. But the author chose to use the word down. It's very interesting. He chose the latter, knowing that by doing so, will endanger his wife and compromise God's promise to him. Yes, Abraham was willing to give up the grand vision, the global mandate, the awesome promise that God had for him. Why? Because life happened. Now, 
Before we harp on Abraham, let's take a moment to reflect on our lives. Question. How many of us are right now living out our God-given calling and passion? How many of us even know what our God-given calling and passions are? Or better question, how many of us even thought about it or even gave time to think about it or even care to think about it because life happened? See, like marriage, when life gets busy with kids and work and mortgages, our priorities shift. We become focused on keeping ourselves alive and fear about losing our livelihood that we lose focus on God. I hear many of my peers say they are on survival mode, that they're just keeping their heads above water, that they are unable to pursue their passions, follow God's tugging in their hearts, obey God's calling for them, or even give much thought to where God wants them to go or who he wants them to be because they're in survival mode. Folks, there's always a choice. I really dislike that Cantonese phrase of mo ban fat. No, there's always a ban fat. Okay, it's a choice. There is a choice. Choose God and live the fullest life he has in store for you or choose merely to survive, i.e. eat, sleep, work, and have sex. Is that all you want in life is merely to be an animal? Abraham, fearing for himself, his family, and his belongings, decided to disobey God and go to what has been his familiar solution when famines happen, Egypt. And coincidentally, we know that the generations that followed after him did the same thing. He chose survival then to live. Here's a video, a short one, that I thought would be fitting to end this particular segment in our uh, episode today. Have a look. It's completely relevant. Out there is our home, home auto, and it's in trouble. I can't just sit here and, and do nothing. That's all I've ever done. That's all anyone on this blasted ship has ever done. Nothing. I'm the Axiom. You will survive. I don't want to survive. I want to live. Must follow my directive. Ah! I don't want to survive. I want to live, says the captain. Well, let's move on to verse 14. And sure enough, when Abraham arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken to his palace. Now, just a note, those keeners out there, you know that I pronounce Sarah as Sarah because Sarah has not changed her name yet. It's still Sarah. Then Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female, donkeys, male and female, servants, and camels. Remember the video clip I showed you in the beginning where George Clooney's character asked J.K. Simmons' character, how much did they pay you to give up on your dreams? Well, how much did Egypt pay Abraham to give up on God's calling? For Abraham, it was sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. And of course, his life. Abraham was definitely surprised by, the, by Egypt's response. Instead of trying to kill him, Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of Sarah. You see... When life happens, we get into a routine. We become comfortable. We become successful. We become satisfied with what we have and enjoy the good, normal life. Normal life. We lose focus on who we are. We lose focus on why we are here. And we definitely lose focus on where we should be going. We no longer focus our attention on our relationship with God, but rather 
push God and our Christianity as a mere accessory to our lives. A good-to-have scenario. A good-to-have to be a compass for our morals and ethics and to be an outstanding citizen, or not even outstanding citizen, just to be a good law-abiding citizen. That's all we want to be, apparently. Abram did just that. He settled. He went down and he settled. He sat down and settled. He no longer worshipped God because there was no evidence, no word at all from the author that he built any more altars. He no longer moved and followed God. He no longer uh, worshipped God and called on the, on the name of the Lord and established landmarkers that God wanted him to do. No. Instead, because he settled into a safe place, he pushed God and the great vision and the global promise to the side and no longer pursued it with gusto, no longer pursue his God-given passion and calling that he initially responded to with so much childlike faith. Instead, he became comfortable with the familiar and was successful in doing so because life happened. So for us, when God tugs our hearts when he uses others to ask us to respond to God's call and obey him, when I even ask you if you ever wondered what your God-given calling and passions were, what's our answer and response? No time. Why? Because what we settled on is now our priority. We're convinced, or we convinced ourselves, that what we have has become a necessity for survival. We live to survive, as opposed to counting on God's sustenance and live out God's calling. In other words, God's original intention for all of us is to trust in his sustenance so that we can live out the full life he has given to us. Let's move on. What happens next? Well, Abram got a wake-up call. Verse 17. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah. Notice Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Interesting. I wonder where Pharaoh figured that part out. Did Sarah tell him? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So we've come full circle back to the wake-up call. Abram's wake-up call was embarrassing. Remember his calling? God was, use, God was to use Abram to be a conduit of his blessings to whomever he meets including families around the world, including Pharaoh's family, Pharaoh's household. But instead, Abram's choices and actions cursed Pharaoh and his household with plagues. God woke Abram up and made him realize who he was, why he was here, and where he should be going. A massive wake-up call through Pharaoh. What an embarrassing wake-up call for Abram and Sarah. They were to be a blessing, but rather they became a curse. Now you must be wondering, how does this apply to me right now today? Well, let me ask you, if you disappeared or you moved away from your neighborhood, would your neighbors miss you? Saying, man, you will be so missed because you were such a big contributor to our neighborhood and community. Or would they be so relieved that you're gone because you were such a curse? Or would they not even know you even existed? See, when we settle, when we live to merely survive, when we become uncomfortable in where we are, we lose sight as to who we are and why we are here, 
and more focused on ourselves. We are called to be a blessing to our neighbors, not an irrelevant form of human mass taking up space and oxygen, and definitely not to be a curse. We are called to run and pursue the life that God has laid out for us. It's a sin to neglect our God-given calling. It's a sin to deny those God-given passions that were imprinted in our hearts. It is a sin to deny who you are and why you're here. It's a sin because it prevents us from living out our God-given lives to the fullest. So, here are some takeaways that I would like to conclude. First, let's revisit why we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Was it for ourselves or were we drawn to his calling to follow him and live our lives in trust and obedience to him? Second, how much did life pay you to give up on pursuing God's calling and God's given passion in you? In other words, how much did life pay you to convince you to make you compromise your God-given calling and passions? How much of life was so attractive that you would rather be in survival mode than to live? And third, what is preventing you from trusting and obeying God now? Or what is preventing you from taking the time to ask God what he wants you to do and who he wants you to be? Because life is more than just survival. It's more than just eat, sleep, work, and having sex. It's about living. Living out God's given full potential in you. Now, let me leave this passage with you to close. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, which includes survival mode, life's entanglements. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the global vision, the global purpose and calling for all of us, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May you find this episode encouraging. May you find it enlightening. Maybe find it convicting to help you change, make some changes in your life. May you find this episode a wake-up call. Amen. Till next time, when we embark on the next few chapters of Genesis, have a blessed week.